As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hi there, this is From the Rookery End. I'm Adam Leventhal, The Athletic's Watford correspondent, back for our regular Thursday edition. Now, on the agenda this week, we're going to be looking back at the defeat against Southampton, ahead to the trip to the Emirates to face Arsenal, discussing some tactical trends that have developed and obviously still need working on under Claudio Ranieri. We'll be talking about recruitment, club communication. We'll be answering your questions as well. So thank you very much for sending them in via the Athletic app and also on Twitter. Now, you may remember last week I told you about an incident at Goodison Park and a supporter asked whether a local reporter could spell a certain word. I'm not going to use that word again because John, who obviously you all know very, very well and who edits the podcast... He bleeped it out on the last edition, so I'm not even going to say it. I'm not even going to say it. But after Southampton, I was the local reporter at Vicarage Road and a fan came up to me and said, I'm sure you know how to spell that word. And I just thought, well, yeah, yeah sort of agree. It wasn't great. But as a starter for my co-hosts this week, Dave and Mike, great to have you on board once again. You're alongside me. Uh, Dave, I'll start with you. What word would you use to describe the performance against Southampton and, and, and why? I don't know how you spell this word. It's more of a sound, <laughs> to be honest with you. But it would be, it would be go on, go on. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Frustration, that sounds like to me, Dave. Frustration. Yeah, that's pretty much bang on. Mike, what, what about you? Well, can I just start? Can we talk? I went to I went to Vicarage Road twice at the weekend. I don't know if that makes me a glutton for punishment. And I just wanted to say a big well done for, to uh, Watford women. A spirited comeback on, on Sunday against Crystal Palace. They went 2-0 down. And I did think, oh, crikey, this could be a, a case of here we go again. They have struggled at the start of the season. Uh, and it was a real, real joy to see a team in yellow at Vicarage Road really um, fight and work hard to, to get that, that deserved comeback. So well done to Helen Ward and her charges at, at, at Watford Women. They were, they were brilliant on, on Sunday. As for Saturday, the word I'm going to use to describe that performance is 
I'm just going to go with familiar, unfortunately. I think the, the home form has been nothing short of tragic, really. Um, I was just speaking to my long-suffering brother, long-suffering because he, well, he's my brother, really, he had to put up with me. Um, but he said he missed Villa at home and he's seen one goal all season. He hasn't managed to get to any of the away games. So, yeah, it was just a, the same old story at home, wasn't it? So, yeah, familiar for me, sadly. It was disappointing because, and Dave, you know, the last time that you were on this edition of the podcast you were talking about momentum needing to get some momentum and we got that win against Everton and then yeah it just fell a little bit flat but we did warn on this on this edition last week that Southampton and Claudio Ranieri said it as well they're an intelligent team and they've delivered some particularly good performances and it shouldn't really have been a surprise that they played better than us and unfortunately, we just couldn't compete with them. Now, I wanted to reflect on on one of the pieces that I've done this week, which dropped on Monday after the defeat against Southampton. And it focused on probably one of the main burning issues that a lot of fans um, listening will have. Are Watford's defensive options currently able to improve enough to keep Watford up or is strengthening the only option? And also a caveat to that, should it have been done a long time ago? Now, I asked that question to Claudio Ranieri after the game in the news conference. And I think, you know, to cut his answer short, basically the jury is out. And he has said that he still needs to see whether Nicholas Nkulu, who came in on a a free, um, Francisco Siralta, who's been out injured, and and Christian Cabaselli, who's also been out injured, what they can do and whether they can actually take the levels up. And as I understand it, that is pretty much what the, the club hierarchy are thinking as well. Let's wait. We obviously can't. I mean, we, we, we could add one more player. There is still a, a player free in, in the squad before January. But let's wait and see. And then they are considering due to, you know, the Africa Cup of Nations also on the horizon and William Truscott-Ekong uh, heading away, Adam Messina heading away as well, that they might actually do some strengthening in January. But I wanted to put that question to to both of you as well, because you'll have differing views, I'm sure. You know, do you think that this offering, and and that counts for all of them, whether they start, you know, playing or not, the likes of Nkulu and and Sierralta, etc., mixed with Cathcart and and William Truster-Kong. Mike, from your point of view, is this crop of defenders good enough to keep Watford in the Premier League? On the face of it, you've got to say no. No clean sheets in the in the Premier League this season. Not only that, we haven't looked like getting close to getting a clean sheet. Um, we've we've conceded goals almost at will. And when we even in the games where we've conceded one, I'm looking at, at Southampton, Leeds, Newcastle. They could have had five each. So we could have easily conceded sort of anywhere between 12 and 15 goals in those. Perhaps I'm over-exaggerating, but you get the the picture. The stats and the performances probably speak for themselves. That said, the game on Saturday was an interesting one because I think the the Southampton goal ultimately came from a defensive mistake, a bit of a lapse in concentration. I think had they got out to that ball quicker and cleared it, then Che Adams doesn't get the chance. Yes, it was a good goal. He doesn't get the chance to, to drag it back and, and, and to put, pop it into the top top corner. So had they dealt with that, you could argue they could have snuck a point. And if they do that more often than not, then they're going to be in the shake-up at the end of the season. So the bottom line is, it's very, very hard as me, as, as a supporter, first and foremost, to say that I'm anything other than worried about the defensive um, op- options we have. Go on, Dave. You you, you kick on from this. Do, do you are you in the camp of look? We shouldn't even be having this conversation now because we all knew this 
was going to happen because our defenders haven't been good enough for, well, you can go back to 2019. 20 is a really good example, but they haven't invested enough. All those, all these accusations that we've heard a lot of, are you on that side of things or do you believe that these players can actually improve and get better under a new manager? Both things can be true. Yeah, Claudio Ranieri may not have seen much or enough yet of all of those players. With the exception of Nicholas Nkulu, we've all seen enough of those players to know what their strengths and weaknesses are. And without being unkind to any of them, most of them probably aren't good enough to be a consistently well, high-performing Premier League defence. I, I, I always look at the sort of test of how many other teams in the league would take those players. I don't think there are many teams in the league that would take our centre-backs. Maybe Sierra would, would be the one that would get into a couple of teams around us. New, Newcastle, you know, probably being the, the one who've, you know, got a, probably a worse defence than us, really, if you look at look at the abilities levels on show. But apart from that, not many at all. Quite a few of them, their best days probably behind them as well, with the exception of, of Sierra in terms of the central guys. Full-backs, again, Kiko not going to get any better. Messina not going to get any better. Danny Rose improving, but he's sort of not going to get exponentially better he's kind of coming back to where he where he should be and Gakia is a young promising prospect hopefully will continue to improve but as a whole no I don't think so yes we would have liked to seen them strengthening in the summer as you pointed out in your piece the other day we did actually have a very very good defensive record last season in the championship it was a division lower we were that much better than most of the teams fine but you can maybe see why that might have given the board a sense of confidence that these guys as a unit could could actually do okay for us but I do think we need to prioritise strengthening that defensive department in January especially as you've mentioned because two of those players who have played quite a lot of the games already in Messina and Chustakong are not going to be around for a couple of weeks it seems but it's also hard to get the right sort of players that you want in January. We know that. We've talked about that at length every year. You know that. You've covered loads of transfer windows. You know how difficult it is to get players in in January, especially the ones that you want. So it's not a, it's not a great situation. But the one thing I would say in, in you know, perhaps in more positive outlook, it's not just about those defenders in terms of their individual ability. You have to defend as a team. You have to get all parts of the team working in cohesion. You have to defend from the front, which is, as we'll go on to later, in terms of looking at stats, we're trying to do a bit more of at the moment. The midfield has to protect the defence better. I know Colin spoke about that at length on Monday's pod. So they, they may not be the best individual players in the world, but with a good coach and you know, well-drilled, repetitive training and practice, they can hopefully improve as a unit to maybe give us a bit more of a chance. They can be better and they need to be better, I think is the bottom line. Mm. I think that's bang on. And, and we've seen on, I mean, you mentioned it a little bit earlier on, Mike, that situation against Southampton. I was actually going to put it in the piece about defenders um, and, and defensive records. If you look at the way that Southampton have actually... You know, they've not set the world alight this season in the Premier League. That was only their second win of the season. But they've managed to to pick up draws, nil-nil draws. They've managed to win their games one-nil because they've been able to keep clean sheets. And if we know that we're not we're still trying to get better up top 
and we're not necessarily fully flying. Uh, and Joshua King's still trying to sort of find his 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 consistency once again. Mm. We need to be able to keep keep clean sheets if we're going to sneak a win here or there. I was toying with the thought of putting Ben Foster in my fantasy Premier League team on Saturday because I was thinking I have Aaron Ramsdale's the other goalkeeper in my team and he was playing away at Leicester and I thought we're at home against Southampton we've not got a clean sheet yet we surely we're gonna get one soon aren't we surely this is the day it happens thankfully I decided not to do that at the last minute Mm -hmm. I went with Ramsdale Arsenal kept a clean sheet and lo and behold we didn't and I think it it was kind of asked in Ranieri's first press conference about the whole you're gonna you know you did the whole clean sheet pizza reward thing at Leicester you're going to do the same here well yeah and he sort of laughed it off but it actually is the issue now isn't it where the hell are we and we're not going to keep a clean sheet anytime soon with those fixtures coming up you wouldn't think but it surely has to be a big motivation like that to me going into that game on Saturday that would have been my focus I would have said to those players let I'll almost take a nil-nil I want you to not concede a goal I think that what they, what they need to focus on is stop giving up big chances mm. because there are far too many big chances in, in the games that we're playing at the moment. I mean, it's not, it's not over-egging it to say that Southampton <clears throat> could have, should have been 2-0 two two up, certainly, mm. and probably should have been 3-0 up at, at half-time. Well, Hassan Hurtle said the same thing. He was asked after the game, was that, our, was that Southampton's best performance of the season so far? And he said, well, no, not really. Because we should have been falling up at half time, and mm-hmm. we weren't. And he was annoyed. Said, yeah. He was a disappointed. They have to stop. They have to stop giving up those big chances. And I think that can be done with your approach, with the tactical approach, and with with the hard work. I mean, that's that's not to say it's the best answer, because it would be better to have a better, stronger defensive unit that provides us with a with a solid base from which to push on down the field. But that's obviously not the case. It's obviously not going to change dramatically enough in January for us to change our whole outlook on how Watford perform as a as a side Ranieri has pretty much got what he's got but as Dave alludes to there what they absolutely have to do is just stop stop giving up those big chances because better teams and we face five of them in a row now will be ruthless absolutely ruthless and the psychological damage of not just you know let's forget keeping clean sheets we need to keep it single figures even potentially (laughs) against teams like Manchester City and and Chelsea, you you laugh, but but, <laughs> but Southampton could have been four 0 up without and and as Hassan Hoodle rightly said, they didn't look particularly good, did they? They weren't exactly dynamic and and slicing through us. They were just able to to forge out really really big opportunities time and time again. And Watford have to be set up to prevent that from happening, yeah. and they need to work out how they get the best out of the defenders and the other players in front of them. Um, because they can't get off scot-free either as to how they organise themselves as a unit, as an 11, to stop giving up those it's chances. It's going to be seven-week Halloween period for us, <laughs> really, isn't it? Oh, yeah, bring it on. Keep, Come on. Dead. keep on going. Just to point out, that laugh was was sort of a nervous, manic <laughs> laugh, thinking about the teams that we're going we're gonna to face. But there was, just, just, just to sort of wrap up on, on this discussion and, and you know following up from that piece, there was some depending on the way you look at it, some good news, which I, I found out in terms of an understanding that um, Francisco Siralta, who was due to be out of contract um, at the end of this season, has signed effectively a new five-year contract. And so I suppose that shows that they are, you know, trying to evolve and, and you know, 
pin their hopes on someone that they have seen potential in and someone that maybe they can build alongside. So we will see how it develops. And I think there is definitely work to be done. And also you have to take into consideration that the, the tinkers that Claudio Ranieri made uh, in the game I don't necessarily think I could see his thinking. I could see that he wanted to be a little bit more aggressive up top and maybe Joao Pedro, who our, our condolences go out today, of course, after the loss of his his stepfather. It's, he's had a you know, he's had a, a very challenging life all the way through. Um, but this is such a, a cruel blow because I know how close he was to um, Carlos Junior, who is his, who was his his stepfather, and he he sadly lost his life. So our condolences go out to him. Um, you know, Joao Pedro was was brought into the side, and I could see why he did it. Um, but I don't know. I, my personal opinion would have been like, let's you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And that means starting with the same starting eleven and keeping your options the same options on the bench. But I could see that he wanted to start as he'd ended so successfully but he didn't have Emmanuel Dennis so let's let's see let's see what happens against Arsenal and, and just a reminder if you want to um, subscribe to The Athletic go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery and you can read that piece and we'll be going on to uh, another piece which you can uh, dig into as well very very shortly and you get a discount by listening to From the Rookery End. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. A Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is from the Rookery End. So the piece that dropped on The Athletic uh, today on Thursday is entitled How Ranieri is Trying to Change Watford's Playing Style. And, and I worked alongside um, The Athletic's data analyst, Mark Carey, uh, on this one. I do hope you've managed to sort of dig into the piece this morning. If you haven't, I'd point you in the direction to, to have a full read of it. But I thought it would be nice to just sort of pull out a couple of things from the piece which you may find interesting. And basically what Ranieri seemingly is trying to do is turn Watford into a more direct, higher pressing, not high pressing, but higher up, risk averse, and obviously trying to make them more creative. And a few things that maybe stick out because it's sort of broken into what they're doing in possession and out of possession, and gents as well, I'll ask you about what, what your thoughts are in terms of what you've seen and what you think and if it tallies with, with your views in a moment's time. But in terms of trying to be more high-pressing, we are seeing you know more energy. In that context, it is, it is actually difficult to weigh up whether we're actually doing really well or we're just a little bit better than we were, which isn't actually that great. Because, you know, traditionally, when Watford have been in the Premier League, we've actually been a decent high pressing side but the 2019-20 season and there's a chart that's included within the piece it just shows how up and down and inconsistent we have been 
when you know Javi Gracia was initially in charge, we started off really high pressing and then it just went down. Then there was a passive period under Kike Sanchez Flores. It then went up under Nigel Pearson. It then dropped like a lead balloon during lockdown. And I think all the intensity for a lot of the teams uh, did that. Then when Shisko comes in, it's all high energy, high energy, high energy. And then we get back into the Premier League and he actually goes against probably his own instincts because he wants Watford to be more pragmatic and maybe sit back a little bit. So it's difficult now for Claudio Ranieri to, to come in and make Watford into a really sort of energetic, high-pressing team because they haven't prepared necessarily for this season to do that. So it's going to take a little bit of time. And and one of the lines from, from Ranieri in the piece... And he said it in the in the post-match news conference against Southampton. He said, you know, football is not an exact science. And it is very, very difficult that on, you know, in terms of data and metrics and things like that, you can, you can make improvements. But sometimes you're just up against other teams that are more settled. And he mentioned about, you know, Ralph Hausenhuttle having three years with his team to drill his team in exactly the way that he wants them to play. And I think there's going to be bumps in the road under Claudio Ranieri. So, I mean, that's the, that's a pressing side of things. There's other things that are mentioned in terms of when Watford are in possession. They're, they're basically booting the ball longer. Get the ball away from our own goal. It's a lot easier to deal with it if it's further away. They're making more progressive passes. They're crossing the ball more. They're having more shots. They're just trying to refine all of these things. And... It is very much a work in progress. Dave, from from your point of view, I mean, what things have, have maybe stuck out from from what you've seen and maybe a couple of things that you, you, you saw in the piece as well? Well, it's, it is always interesting to um, try and align your what you see and things that you take away from games with your eyes and compare them to what the data tells you. And not quite often those two things don't don't always match up. But it's encouraging, I think, to hear that basically most of the metrics that you looked at in the piece, we're making steps in the right direction. Having good underlying numbers is a good thing. It's something perhaps you can cling to in times of when results aren't going your way. But if the numbers are beneath the performances are good, it should hopefully turn in your favour eventually. It's a small sample size. It's only three matches. First one was against Liverpool, which was you know which would definitely skew the numbers even. Even you know more out of our favour, but the two games against Everton and Southampton, I think there was pl- there was plenty to be encouraged about. And we 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 have discussed the the frustrations and the disappointments of the Southampton game in the previous podcast, so we'll, we'll leave that. But there was certainly, from what I saw, there was plenty of effort. There was plenty of tempted forward momentum and t- attempted progressive passes. There was, there was you know, we saw had a bad day. I'd rather he was in those positions than not. He, he was still showing for the ball and trying to cross it. Yes, the crosses didn't go where anyone wanted them to go, but he was still there. He was still in the right areas. He was still in the final third. He still nearly scored a goal on a bad day for him. So I think there was plenty of things there to, to, for us to be positive about. I, I take what Dave's saying 100%, but I think they're far too fleeting at the moment. I think they are the very greenest of, of green shoots. You pointed out in your piece, Adam, about Ben Foster's distribution which I thought on a couple of times on, on Saturday was was excellent finding the space on on either flank and setting up a setting up an attack not rocket science really simple nicely executed and and we're off to the races the, the point of the piece is right is the fact that through looking at a couple of things and that's that's pressing that's that's progressive passes and that's uh, passes in you know the number of passes in our final third in our sorry in our own defensive third all of those things have gone in the right direction. 
all of, or, or you know the, the the going long. You can argue about whether that's a good approach or not. Some people like to play out from the back. Some people don't. But the pressing and progressive passing and the pressing, both things we're doing better at. Which which forget the results. That shows you what Ranieri is trying to do. He wants us to do this a certain way. And by his own admission, it will take time for us to hone that and to get better at it and to get used to it and to get used to his methods. So in a way, we almost I, I, I'm almost looking at these next five games as training sessions. Stupid as that sounds. Obviously I want to get points from them. We might get a point, we might get we might even get a win in one of them. Who knows? But if you Except the prospect, the reality that we are unlikely to get many points against teams of that calibre, but and, and that's almost freeing in a way. Ranieri can say to the to his team, "Look, you're going to come up against some of the best teams, but I don't care. I don't care whether you're playing as Manchester City or Southampton. I want you to concentrate on doing these things. Play like this against whoever you're playing against, and eventually we'll get better at it. And we might come through these next five games with not many points, but then after that, we'll be ready. We'll be a much better, well-oiled machine. We'll be much better organised. We'll be ready to go. The question is, even if they do that." It's about can they maintain the strong mentality if they do lose five games in a row? It's kind of they might be working on a lot of things, but they'll still be thinking, looking around, going, "Christ, we just can't win a game." So it's it's a really difficult balancing act coming on, coming up for Ranieri. For Ranieri, he's got to be realistic. He's got to make sure that the heads don't drop, and he's got to really make sure that they're focused. The players, the play. We've talked a lot about Ranieri. I think the players do have to take responsibility as well for trying to implement what he wants them to do. I think more shots. I mean, it sounds it sounds pretty basic, but we have seen that as well. I think having the confidence to take on 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 the shots. Kutsku in particular isn't shy of having a having a dig from from just outside the the edge of the box, and he seems to be getting close. And I think that's an indication, perhaps, that they're not they're not running too low on confidence as it stands. Um, but they do have to. They have to keep that going. They just have to keep trying to implement what he's suggesting. And Dave, you're, it's, it's impossible to, to steer clear of. To, it's impossible to avoid the the thought of these next five games. And if we do lose all five of them, that's eight out of nine we will have lost. And the the psychological impact that that potentially might have is is huge. So they just have to keep on doing what they're doing and believing. And I think. Ranieri should be able to instill that in them. When we talked about him as a as as a head coach, his experience and him being around the block, whether it's in this country, whether it's in Italy or wherever, that's this is where you earn your corn in these really difficult times. The thing we've got to remember as well, right? Since before the start of this start of the season, we've been looking at this spell. We've been we were fearing it. We were saying we need to get X amount of points in the early part of the season because we've got this run coming up in October and November and into December. We've been petrified since that time. And I think we're building it up and building it up and building it up in our heads. And I hope the players aren't doing the same because look look around the league. Yes, Manchester City, Chelsea, Liverpool, as we've seen, are the best teams in this league by a distance. Uh, yes, Arsenal are in good form. Leicester, bit up and down, but obviously still got lots of good players, can beat most teams on their day. But also... They, these teams do have times where they lose. Manchester City lost to Crystal Palace last week. Chelsea have drawn. They've dropped points this season. They've had some draws. Liverpool have drawn this season. You know, Manchester United are in are in not in good shape at the moment for a number of reasons. We we shouldn't just write these games off. Like we have beaten top teams in the past in the Premier League. The only one we haven't beaten of those top teams is Manchester City. They're the still one that eludes us and may well still do after this season. But all those other teams in the top six and Leicester and all those teams like them, we've beaten them. 
We've beaten them all. So we have to have some confidence and belief that we can get points from this spell. The piece that I wrote is all about the data, but these five games are about things that you... Well, you're going to have to rely on in, in adversity, you know, just a bit of a bit of steel, a bit of determination, a bit of trying to galvanise yourselves, a bit of siege mentality, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, sometimes in adversity, you can become stronger. In the past, when we've been in these sort of runs, we have had fragile confidence and that's been shattered and we've just been left like you know, broken glass on the floor and it's been very, very difficult to to pick us up again. I'm thinking back to, you know, 2019-20. But maybe, maybe this season, like you said, Dave, if Ranieri can, you know, keep drilling into them, right, let's just stick to our principles, whatever they may be. Let's try, try and just try and stay in games and, and just maybe we might be able to eke something out, you know, get a shock early goal and then build from that so maybe we might we might just get a shock result and we have got shock results and John mentioned it on the on the uh, last Thursday edition of the podcast that game where we went to the Emirates on deadline day no one was expecting that we would win and we got a 2-1 victory we did it in the cup as well however this time around Arsenal it seems like their soft underbelly has disappeared and they've actually got a bit of a football team. Here's the Athletics Arsenal correspondent, Art de Roche, just to take us into the mood at the Emirates at the moment. Arsenal haven't lost since August when they bowed to a 5-0 defeat against Manchester City. So since then, picking up results in September was when fans started to feel okay, but they were still looking for those performances to come through. And I think since coming back from the October international break with very convincing wins against Aston Villa and Leicester City, there has been a sway towards happiness, I guess is the word you'd say, uh, with the current squad. I think there is still some convincing for Mikel Arteta to do just because of the performance over the board last season and the season before and there's always going to be a certain <laughs> distrust of the board but overall the feelings towards Arsenal as a whole have improved over the past couple of months and they're just looking for more consistency in the Premier League and with one game a week no Europe they hope that will come I think we've seen that aside from like overall performances with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang the way he's been pressing in games has been quite impressive they would hope that continues against Watford, kind of harass them from the start. And in terms of what you're likely to see, in terms of a setup, Arteta's gone with almost a a four four two, or I guess we'd call it a four four one one in the past couple of games when Alex Lacazette's come back into the team. Lacazette will play just off Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang when Arsenal are in possession. Emil Smith-Rowe off the left, Bukayo Saka off the right with Sambi Lukonga partnering Thomas Partey in midfield. And that's given Arsenal a lot more licence to break quickly, especially with Emil Smith-Rowe off the left. Um, and then without the ball, they tend to keep that shape. And then uh, Aubameyang is the one who would lead the press, his triggers mostly being uh, when the ball was passed to a certain centre-back or if it's passed back to the goalkeeper. That is his almost, his green light, if you'd like to call it. And I think going into this game, there is probably a lot more positive momentum in terms of their 
mental approach and being at the Emirates, they they will, I think, have a lot of support from the fans that are there. They had that against Aston Villa and that that drove them a lot against Villa. So I think this is probably not a great time to face Arsenal if you're an opposition team. They would be going into that game feeling like they should continue their run of good results. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. Now, we're going to be coming to your questions in a moment's time. But just before that, we wanted to talk about club communications. And that the reason for that is because in the piece that I did talking about the defence and the potential of, of signing players in January and Francisco Serralta's new contract and all that sort of stuff, I included some quotes from the chairman and chief executive, Scott Duxbury, um, where he was talking about, you know, continuing to want to make bold decisions and, you know, that they believe are in the best interest of the long-term future of the club and and all that sort of stuff. And and a lot of people sort of got stuck into those quotes and were, you know, critical about the way that Scott Duxbury had, had communicated and, and things like that. And I thought, hang on a minute, hold on a minute. I understand people can be critical, but one of the accusations was the hierarchy need to communicate better. And these quotes were actually published in the match day program, and I understand a lot of people don't buy a match day program anymore and, and things like that, but this is a brand new thing that the club are doing to try and get their message across better, to communicate better, to have a sort of more of a um, a link between the hierarchy and the fans. And as I as it as it says in the in the program that sometimes these will be published online and things like that. And I saw that uh, Christiana Jureta is going to be appearing on the the new Hive Live program, the midweek one, and stuff like that. So clearly, they they are conscious of the fact that they want to communicate better. Now, I just I just found it quite entertaining that you know a lot of people have been very critical of the club, and we'd spoken about it on the podcast um, before about them needing to communicate better and all that sort of stuff. But then when they do communicate and they do tell you what they think, they also get criticism. So they're sort of in a, in a no-win situation. I mean, Mike, from your point of view, I you know, you can understand people not liking what people say, but they can't be critical for for them, for them, you know, trying to do things better, can they? I think they're on a bit of a hiding to nothing, to be honest. I mean, there can be no denying that they've got some things wrong. I mean, yeah. an obvious example is the AD Mariapa departure for example that was a that was a communications catastrophe really and I remember speaking out saying oh come on you don't think Watford aren't going to mark Adrian Mariapa's departure they'll they'll just have something planned and of course they didn't they and they they came clean they had dropped the ball so mistakes are made and I think they'd be the first to admit that I think you mentioned the new Hive Live show on a Thursday that's that's something that's interesting and should be entertaining for supporters. That's a, a clear attempt to keep the information and the interest and the entertainment flowing in between match days. The, the piece in the the programme column is a very, very clear response to requests from a lot of people to hear from 
from the hierarchy. But all that said, I do think they're on a, high, a bit of a hiding to nothing. Dave, you're very vocal about wanting to hear from Gino. Mm-hmm. I happen to believe that we wouldn't learn anything new if we did hear from Gino. He would say, I'm invested in Watford. I've continued to invest in Watford. I want the best for Watford. Everything I do will be to, to, to try and move Watford forward. That is what any chairman, what any senior manager is, is going to say in the public domain. Yeah. That's, that's basically the size of it. And Depends I under- who's asking the questions, though. It does. Of course it does. But even the most skilled uh, journalist, interviewer, interrogator is, is going is to come up against something. I think, we should, I think we should let him, um, let him have 10 minutes with Arlo. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah I, I wouldn't let Gino do that. <laughs> I, I, I have too much respect for the man to put, to put him through that. But I, I, I think it is difficult. I think pro- the, problem ha- the problem we have is that, that supporters quite rightly have very, very firm beliefs, opinions and desires for the way they want Watford to go. And I think sometimes when they don't see that happening, there is it almost like they take it as a personal criticism. Why isn't this happening? Why aren't the hierarchy doing that? And why aren't they telling me why they aren't doing it? And I, I, I get that. You know, I, I'm, I'm critical when I, when I think the club deserve it and or when the team deserve it. Over the, the 10, 11 years we've been doing the podcast, I call them out time and time again. But I think on a communication front, it's, it's, it's very difficult. People have to sort of sit and, and, and think, what am I actually asking? Mm. What are the questions I want answered? And what is the, the reality of any answer that is going to be put in the public domain? I'd also make the point that Watford are a very open organisation when it comes to getting, getting in touch. So if you have got a burning question for, for anyone <laughs> at the club, perhaps ask it. Drop them a line, stick a letter in the post and, and, and see what happens. Go old school. That's, what, that's basically what you're saying. Because that's, you know, you, you look back at the, those wonderful sort of, not well, they sort of like rose tinted, but gloriously rose tinted days of, you know, Graham Taylor responding to letters to young kids and things like that. Give it a go. Give it a go. Yeah. Send an email, maybe an, an electronic mail nowadays, you know, rather than a, a written letter. But, you know, I think that it's, it's well worth doing. But one thing I just wanted to bring up, because a lot of people have sort of taken exception to it, but I think it's an interesting debating point. Just from these, these Scott Duxbury um, column, he says, regarding some of the choices that they've made, sometimes they can seem unpopular at face value, though we believe the v- vast majority of our supporters, the silent majority, as I've heard them described before, understand the steps that we take to always have Watford Football Club at heart. And I suppose, you know, the use of that word, the silent majority, is an interesting one because <laughs> it's going to antagonise <laughs> those people that yeah. talk a lot basically and uh, everyone is entitled to their opinion and everyone is entitled to to vent their frustrations um but i suppose it, it's how you view it do you think and i ask this to both of you do you think the majority of fans are happier with gino pozzo in charge than than not i think i think Yes, I think people are happier, despite our regular frustrations at anything that goes wrong at the pitch or with or on you know off off the pitch with the club. I think we all we all we can all remember the bad times. We can all remember the guy who was here before and some of the guys who were here before that. This is by no means the worst ownership Watford have ever had. Doesn't mean we shouldn't put our yeah. hands up and raise our yeah. concerns and be sceptical and yeah. ask questions when when we think they need to be asked. Um, I, I agree with Mike. 
to a certain extent, football clubs are on a hiding to nothing. They can't. They can never satisfy the fans, and sometimes even if you the the more you give them, the more they want to be fed. Yeah. So it, it's difficult. You know, you look yeah. at look at um, the mess that Spurs got themselves in in the summer when Daniel Levy came out in an open letter to the fans saying, "I want to find someone who's going to play exciting, attacking football, the Tottenham DNA." What happens? He tries to get six managers, they all turn him down. He has to get Nuno, and look what's happened since. You know, he made he's made to look silly, and that 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 is a a trap that that any of these guys can fall into if they if they speak too much sometimes. So there is value in sometimes keeping your cards close to your chest, keeping your powder dry, and picking your moments when you talk. One simple thing that I would like to see you return now that we're you know in an increasingly post pandemic not post pandemic it's still going on but we're we're moving in the right direction hopefully in general terms from the pandemic is can we have the return of the at your place or the at our place events i think there was value in those i know sometimes they're probably sick of answering answering the same old questions just like you are adam you you get asked the same questions every week when you ask for questions but i think there was value in that the the gesture of doing those events Mm. i think Mm. i think made a made a big difference i think i think it made something I am also very entertained by by the questions that I are some uh, you know I am sent you know uh, what's the latest on the ticketing system and you know uh, are we are we are we planning on changing the pies in the you know in in the uh, in the Graham Taylor stand and all this sort of stuff I'm like like Mike said just say, just just pop them pop them a little ne- letter or an email contact the club because they will be able to they will be able to help with your inquiry um, so yeah. What I would say, and I want to make sure that I get this across quite strongly, is that that's not this isn't under any shape or form belittling um, supporters of which I am one, a fanatic, and their request and their desire for information and updates. It comes from a good place. It becomes because uh, that we all care deeply about about the football club. Some people are looking further down the track. Some people want to know what the shape of the club is going to look like in five, ten, fifteen years. Other people want to know what the what the situation is going to be on 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 Saturday. How many away tickets have they sold? And it all comes from the same place: the burning desire to understand and know more about the club. And I, and I get that there is a balance, there is a nuance to what can be done. And I think perhaps as supporters, if we perhaps to supply a filter to what we want to be told and really sort of work out whether the, the reality of whether we will ever get the answer that we want is realistic or not. Also, just final word on this, the implication of a lot of the criticism is really people, are, as we've said right from the beginning of this d- discussion here, the implication is that the people in charge do not have the best interests of the club at heart mm. and do not want it to succeed by the things that they're doing. I just, I just don't believe that that's the case. They might, as we've seen, as we've said, and we've highlighted, and we've discussed, and I've written countless articles about the old guy and the new guy who's in charge and all this sort of stuff. They've made mistakes. They've made a lot of mistakes. They wouldn't have been in the situations that they've been in over the last twelve months if they hadn't have made mistakes. So it is a very interesting one that if you think at the heart of the matter that you know Gino Pozzo, Scott Duxbury, Cristiano Giretta you know, the people that work at the football club want it to fail in some way, then I would question what you're saying. But I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's the case. So, you know, I, I think that, yes, people are entitled to their, their criticisms and, 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 answer, and, and wanting answers and things like that. And hopefully, Dave, you're right. There will be a bit more flow. And going back to what we were starting about, talking about in the, in the first place, that things like this, over time, 
I'm, I'm holding up the program here. Obviously, this is an audio thing. People can't see it. Um, but I'm holding up the program that hopefully things like this may well help you over know, time. I, you know that you bloody know. Neville Chamberlain? Yeah, you know, I'm holding the program up here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you know, I also look like, because it, it does also look like I'm waving the white flag, which is perhaps, perhaps also um, maybe we'll return to that after these next five games. Right, let's deal with some questions that I can actually answer. Harves has asked regarding the, the low knees and whether some of those are going to be sort of recalled and drawn back from, from where they are in the, in the country. As I understand it, I don't think the plan is to, to make a lot of you know, breaks in those season-long loans for the likes of, you know, Philip Zinkanagel or uh, Tom Deli-Bashiru, for, for example. I think that they will try and get through with this smaller, tighter Premier League squad and maybe make a few additions here or there. But we will see. I think it will all depend on, you know, how intense this next couple of months are prior to January and also how the players that are coming back perform as we were talking about in the defence. Another question from Alfie, would dropping Saar impact his confidence more than spur him on? Uh, Mick Holiday, Emma Lucy also asked about Saar as well. I think, you know, as Dave was talking about earlier on, you know, he's he's having a difficult time of it at the moment. But I think, you know, almost it, it just feels like he, he will come good again. And, you know, he, he it's almost like You've got to you've got to keep plugging away with him because he is he has still got that X factor. Hasn't and I I think and I, I know Colin and, and and some of the other guys. I think Mike Mike and Colin both were on the same page in, in the Monday podcast, saying you know expressing their concerns about Saar and Colin was saying maybe we should give him a few weeks off. Which in theory maybe that's a nice idea, but we can't afford to do that. He's, no. He is still our best player, and I think he is the sort of player that within games has dips of confidence. And I think if that chance in the first half that got cleared off the line goes in he, yeah. he he's then flying and he's he's up to, you know he wants the ball and he's going to he's going to be more at it and i think he it, that's just the way it was it was one of those days against southampton i know you know i know he got taken off against everton and that, that's that's a, and that's another thing entirely but i think you have to play him because he still even in a poor game on on saturday had a chance to score a goal and nearly took it so i think you have to play him especially when we are going to have to really do without him in, in January for the Africa Cup of Nations when he goes away with, with Senegal. Um, Marcus and, and Robert, we're going to finish off with your two questions. Are there three worst teams in the Premier League at the moment? And that is a tough one because it takes into consideration what's happening at, at Newcastle. You think, are Burnley going to sort of keep kicking on as they, as they always do? I think it's going to be very, very tight indeed. And, and it will be interesting to see... If we are relying on, you know, obviously Norwich being a worse team. They are worse you're than rel- us. No doubt they're about definitely, it. They're definitely worse. So we've got one in the bag. We've got- <laughs> I watched their game against Leeds on Sunday and they are just so bad. I really felt sorry for Norwich fans watching that game. They're just, they are just absolutely nothing. There is nothing about them whatsoever. They will be relegated um, unless they change their manager maybe and have some sort of miraculous second half of the season comeback. But anyway... They're tick, tick. Norwich are worse than us. Newcastle currently, um, I mean, 
we think back to that game at Vicarage Road, they are actually better than us on the day for, for the majority of the game. But across the season so far, they might just be worse than us, maybe. But the problem is, we just know, you know, there's that big question mark over them. Who the hell are they going to get as their manager? It looks like Eddie Howe might now be the front runner for the job after Emery turned them down. But it's a bit of a disaster up there still. But they still do have that that ability now to potentially overhaul the squad or bring in a game-changing player in January. So we just we just don't know. Are Burnley worse than us? On some evidence this season, yes. But also, they had a really good win at the weekend. They still do have that togetherness, that steal. Chris Wood is a, is a really good striker on his day. If they get the ball to him in the right areas, he'll score goals. It's touch and go. And after that, that's it. We're definitely not better than any of the other teams in the league. So we're either fourth from bottom or in the bottom three. We're playing for 17th. But the question is, the current reason for that question is because we're, we're really worried about how Watford are playing. Mm. It doesn't take into consideration any improvement that Watford can make. Exactly. So it is quite a pessimistic view. It's, yeah, it's like, definitely. oh, we, our, we, our just job is to make and, ourselves you know, better than some teams by, by winning yeah. those games and, you know, exactly. Winning those heads and I think, you know, there are people into it. There are some teams that will will have bad spells and, you know, Brentford, it's their first time in the Premier League. It's mm. going to be tough for them to maintain it. They're only two points above Watford yeah. at the moment. Um, Aston Villa, Aston Villa aren't having a great time of no. it at the moment. Obviously, they've got quality in their side and it basically comes down to goals. Effectively, I think if you can score in, I know it sounds basic, but if you've got someone that can consistently score goals, then you will be able to do OK and... Fingers crossed Watford can do that. Final one, what is going to be success over the next 10 games? Robert Needham asks. I think probably let's deal with the next five because it might be that we're going to be... One point. We're going to be... Yeah, I'd say next five, if Watford can get a point, then... I think you've got to be. So let's be bold. Be three points. Happy. Three points from those five games. We've got. To, let's let's back ourselves to get a win somewhere somehow. That would be definitely be success. Three points. Three points would be a. That's the question, isn't it? Would it be a success? Yeah. Yes. A, a point would be probably what you're thinking is going to happen. Three points would be a success. But let me just leave you with this. In terms of the ten points that we have collected so far this season, the average position of the teams that we have faced so far this season is 12th okay and we've collected 10 points over the next five games we're obviously facing teams in first third fifth sixth and 11th currently so the average position in terms of those five teams is fifth so we're (laughs) 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 yeah probably (laughs) probably probably but Let's end it on a on a positive and and fingers crossed that we can we can exceed expectations as we said a little bit earlier on. Now, if you want to prepare yourself for the big challenge against uh, Arsenal and you want to uh, join the uh, the proposition of the Athletic and and read about not only Watford but Arsenal and all the other teams and American sports and all that sort of stuff, do get on board by going to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end and you will be able to get a 33% discount on a new subscription. Mike, thank you very much, as always, for your company. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Ed. There's loads of us going to Arsenal, so if you do see any of us, uh, do come and say hello. It's always uh, it's always nice to uh, put uh, faces to names and that sort of stuff. Come on, you boldens. Dave, thank you. Thank you. And we will be back reacting 
on Monday. It's going to be a quick turnaround after that Sunday game on the next edition of From the Rookery End. The Athletic.